I'm Dr. Serena Killam, and we'll be discussing the role of social innovation in creating a thriving and sustainable urban food system. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands, skies and waterways on which this podcast is recorded, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and thank them for their millennia of care for country. We're using a charity approach we've already failed and I think everybody who works in this area will say that, that that's exactly what's wrong at the moment is that, that nobody wants to really look at this squarely as an issue. And it's hard to understand why not, I think, but it's like as long as there is Food Bank and Second Bite, all, all those great organisations that are doing really good stopgap work, but basically that's not the way that people want to live is having to have handouts and, and help. And it doesn't give agency and dignity to people around food and their own food choices. And... We still don't think of food, like there's no minister for food. We have, you know, a minister for housing, all, all the other kind of basic needs like housing, transport, education, we have ministers. We, we might have a minister for agriculture, but that's different from the minister for food. And yet good nutritious food underpins so many other areas of health and well-being. That's Liz Millen from the New South Wales Right to Food, talking about the need to think about food and food supply as public infrastructure. This idea might sound a bit quirky at first, but actually in urban areas, we are surrounded by often invisible food infrastructure that is largely private rather than publicly owned. So what is urban food infrastructure? Well, I want you to imagine a new housing complex being built. And there's a whole bunch of infrastructure issues that will need to be addressed, such as What should the density of the housing be? Where will people park their cars? And is there enough public transport, schools and parks for the residents who will come and live in this housing complex? But rarely is there any in-depth discussion, planning or accounting for food infrastructure. How will people get food? Are supermarkets the only option? How far away are the supermarkets? Is it a walk, a bus ride or a car drive? And what if you don't own a car or can't afford to own a car? Can you get access to food and get it home? And is this food supply and access equitable for all people, including vulnerable people? How much land would we need to provide 50% of the fresh vegetables in Sydney? In 2022, the New South Wales Parliament held an inquiry into food production and supply in New South Wales And I'm going to read now from a little bit of the report. And I quote, There is no overarching government plan to address issues with food security and food supply in New South Wales. We found that the approach to our food system is siloed and disjointed with various government agencies responsible for separate policies. There is no overarching government plan or strategy to address issues with food security and food supply and access to nutritious food. There is also no lead agency that is responsible for addressing problems in our food system, end quote. Let's go back and listen to Liz Millen again. There should be a body whose job it is to look at how do we ensure that we're going to have good local food production? When do we stop the focus on development at all costs with whatever size of houses, which is often building over the best agricultural land that we've got? When do we really take a step back from 
rushing ahead with more mining programs, allowing fracking, you know, look what's happening with the Liverpool Plains and the drilling. Those are such short term where we could be taking that opportunity to say, let's not do that. Let's say we have to find a way through this. We have to wear the pain of maybe short term expense in terms of our energy transition because we cannot risk squandering what we've got. We've only got a certain number of places where we can grow food on very good soil with good, reliable water. But we can't afford to let that go. Now we're going to switch to a more local inner-city urban perspective and hear from Jessica, who is a community garden volunteer. Yeah, cool, cool. So I'm, I'm just a volunteer here. This is basically on City Park. We're in the middle of City Park and the City Farm is on what was a landfill site so nothing is that that is edible is actually planted in the ground so that's a really important point everything you see in front of you is actually on in raised beds which is really important for a demonstration site because you show to people that we do have a lot of, of land in Sydney that can't be farmed in immediately because it it's you know, in old industrial sites, it might be landfill, it might be contaminated with heavy metals, it might have had all sorts of industries on it. So it's really important for people to know that we cannot farm directly into the soil and we can't eat anything directly out of the soil. So we do everything in raised beds. We've got a number of different types of raised containers. So we've got, we've got wood pallet wood style gardening planters. We've got different sorts of raised beds. We've got um, old skips, which have been repurposed. It's, it's basically a bit of a demonstration site to show people how it's possible to get around different scenarios. So if you do have degraded soils, if you've got contaminated soils, if you live in the city or in the immediate suburbs close to a city or an industrial centre, it is possible to come out and grow your own food. You just have to be a little bit inventive about how you do it. And I think it's a really great site in that it shows you all the different ways of doing that. What we do have in the ground is mainly flowers. So the flowers and stuff we don't eat. Uh, So we do have a few things planted directly into the ground, but most of the site is made of raised beds. The orchard is different, but that's gone through a, 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 uh, a long period of remediation for the soil. So that was looked at and they planned it and then they remediated the soil over, over a number of years. So that's how we were able to plant the orchard. So we have citruses, things in very big planters, so people can see all different sorts of ways even if they only have balconies they can still grow trees they can still grow any number of things Um, so it's more of a demonstration site I guess than that than a traditional farm but it's definitely got a number of great methods that people can use in their own settings and they can adapt all sorts of different containers and ways of growing food. Small-scale demonstration sites and urban-based community gardens can be incredibly important and a powerful way of changing how people relate to food. 
Now, I'm going to go back to the New South Wales inquiry into food production and supply, and I'm going to paraphrase here part of the submission that I put into the inquiry. And it was really about remembering that prior to the first COVID lockdown, we'd just come off that summer of bushfires. There was a lot of news coverage about how many, many small towns on the east coast of New South Wales had essentially run low or run out of food and water supplies. On top of that, we've got part of our population in New South Wales, somewhere between 5 to 20%, that is considered food insecure. So that is, they had run out of food at home and they could not afford to buy more. So in my submission, I wrote that the behaviour around food in the first COVID-19 lockdown, that is hoarding and stockpiling, was understandable when we use a social-based food systems lens to examine these inequalities. That hoarding and stockpiling of food was actually a really reasonable response to a global crisis of unknown dimensions. Now we're a couple of years on from those crises, but we haven't actually changed anything in New South Wales around our urban food supply. And it raises the question, are we doing enough to plan for food as public infrastructure? And I wonder if we've left too many vulnerabilities in our urban food supply because we haven't treated food as essential infrastructure. In fact, we've left most of it up to the private sector. So certainly people had a sense and a dawning of holy crap like things could change very quickly and all of a sudden the supermarket shelves are empty and whoa I think the more you sort of reach out to people in these sort of settings people come for all sorts of different reasons but a lot of people come for respite from the everyday just constant grind and that disconnect. And I think that they find once they start tasting what real food tastes like, what fresh food tastes like, what something that hasn't been frozen for the last four months tastes like, once they kind of learn the cycles of growth, how you can grow the plant, the plant goes to seed, save the seed, store the seed, take the seed out when it's the next season, pop it in the ground, it comes back through again and you've done that the whole cycle yourself. There's a certain amount of freedom in that. There's also a sense of taking back control of your own life. You're not completely reliant on these trucks sort of barreling in and working their way through floods and droughts and storms and um, You know, we are extremely vulnerable in the city to all levels of disaster that could hit at any one point. And I think knowing that you have a food supply at your hands, knowing that you can grow it, knowing how that happens, knowing the cycle of pests and diseases, knowing that you don't have to go to such and such and buy a product to fix that knowing what part you play in a cycle is incredibly empowering. I hope these food stories have sparked an interest for you. Do you think of food as public infrastructure? Perhaps you are a town planner or an urban architect or a community gardener yourself. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Remember to leave us a comment, rate us wherever you listen to quality podcasts and share this with a friend.
The report from the New South Wales Inquiry in Food Production and Supply is available on the parliamentary website, along with the 77 public submissions. I'll be back next episode as we continue to explore the world of food system innovation on this podcast. We'll be highlighting the stories of the people and organisations driving change in Sydney. From farmers and chefs to policymakers and community organisers, these innovators are working to create a more sustainable, equitable and delicious food future for all. Tune in next time to learn more about the exciting work happening right here in the Sydney food system. This podcast was supported by researchers from Charles Sturt University with a small grant from the City of Sydney. Remember to subscribe and if you would like to learn more about our research into social innovation in food systems or use some of our free resources in your own local government area to explore food innovation stories, please visit our website available in the show notes.